Well, I'm uh, excited to, to share just a little bit with you all today. We're going to start something new this morning, and I'll explain what it is in just a minute. Um, first, I just want to just say, last week, I, I just really enjoyed being together. It was just a really special time, and for me, it was, in a way, it was like that spark I needed, you know, is that spark that I needed in my life to, to just remind me to, like, press into Jesus, you know, and continue to work on that relationship and create space and time to spend with God. And, and this week has been, um, it's not been easy, but it's been, it's been better in many ways because I feel like I've been more connected to God uh, through abiding in Christ, like um, we talked about last week. And I was so grateful. I know Christina went up with the kids just now, but I was so grateful for her willingness to be uh, vulnerable with us and to share her story and her struggles, and even share a song that she wrote uh, that she had no intention of sharing with people. Uh, that takes a lot of courage, you know, to put yourself out there in that way. And so um, someone asked her if she was having, a, I think, a vulnerability hangover last week. <laughs> um, I've had those before uh, where it's like, man, did I share too much, you know? Uh, just because it's like when we're honest and we share, like, it, it's not a very common thing in our culture to to really be vulnerable, and particularly up in a group of people and Particularly for pastors, it's not as, as common uh, for us pastors to, to be honest and vulnerable about what we're going through. But I'm just grateful for a church that invites that and, and appreciates that and wants that from, from all of us who, who have the opportunity to share with you all um, each week. Um, so this week, we're going to be moving into something different and, and we're going to be looking at, we're going to stray from the lectionary just a bit over the next few weeks um, and so just giving you a heads up for those of you who really have enjoyed that, uh, I'll let you know where we're going uh, in some advance, hopefully, so you can uh, read up ahead of time if you want to. But I'll explain where we're going in just a minute. Um, but I want to say uh, something about Jesus. So one thing that, that I love about Jesus, and I love a lot of things about Jesus, but one thing I love about Jesus and his life and kind of who he was here when he walked on this earth is that he had the ability to really get to the heart of the matter. Like, Jesus had this ability to just get to, like, the essence and kind of look through and see through all the distractions and all the stuff that people were arguing about and all the, the kind of, just to say, sometimes the BS that people are, are putting out there. Jesus had the ability to kind of, like, see through all that and really get to the heart of the matter. He could see through the posturing and the distractions and all the drama and really get to the essence of what was going on. Um, some authors that I, I really love, Tony Campolo and Brian McLaren, they wrote a book together uh, back in 2003. And, and I'm not sure that I actually read the book, but I do remember the title of the book, and I like it. And the book was called Adventures in Missing the Point. And and I think that title could really describe much of the human experience, right? That we often really miss the point, and we fail to get to the heart of the matter. I've sat around, and, and I imagine many of you as well, I've sat around many tables and so many meetings, and we debate and we talk for sometimes even hours, and sometimes we're just focusing on all the wrong stuff, and we really miss the point. I've been in arguments with my friends, with my family, uh, with my wife, and, and I can go on and on and on and harp on so many things, but all the while, I'm really missing what's really going on, right? 
I fail to get to the heart of the matter. Do y'all have that struggle sometimes? Many people, um, I think, are frustrated in their marriages or their relationships because they have developed kind of these bad habits of arguing and arguing and arguing about all these different details without ever really having the real conversation that needs to be had about what's really going on, about the underlying issues that are really at work in the relationship. We fail to get to the heart of the matter. Another example that I've seen in our society over the last few years, um, particularly in the recent history in, in America, is that people spend a lot of time like debating and, and arguing about whether kind of individual actions or individual people are racist. And, and so an example, someone will say something that is really racist and, and they will go, all their attention goes on that to kind of drag that person through the mud. And I get it, we need to hold people accountable, particularly people who have power and have positions of influence when they do and say racist things, right? If I do that, I need to be held accountable. But I think the problem is sometimes that has the effect of preventing us from acknowledging what I think really is the heart of the matter and that there, there are racialized systems in place in our world that have been there for a very long time that have been seeking to destroy and marginalize black people for hundreds of years. So we can spend our time talking about individual people and all this, which that needs to be done at times. But what happens is we often ignore the heart of the matter. And it might just be that there are evil systems at place that are built to advantage one group over another. And so we never really address the problem because we're not getting to the heart of the matter. Another thing that we're seeing increasingly in our, in our communities, particularly here in Kentucky, is that there's this massive drug epidemic, right, where people are are just really struggling with drug addiction, and it's just tearing up lives and families and communities. The drug problems in our nation are so, so heartbreaking. And our nation's response has usually been to arrest people who have drug addiction for drug possession or different things, and then to put them in jail. And we know that's not actually helping the issue. The heart of the matter, the way I see it, is that people are actually sick. And they need support. They need community. They need medical care. And we also have drug companies that are making a fortune while people are suffering and communities are crumbling. And we often fail to get to those kinds of conversations because we're not getting to the heart of the matter. I think about children and the way we kind of deal with children in our society. When children act out and misbehave, we have a tendency just to get angry with them, right? And we tell them to get right and act right and get your stuff together and stop this, you know? Do what's right. And, and, and often in schools, often what happens is they just get suspended and sent home or even expelled from school. Or, or even worse, you know, the police get called and these kids are put in jail. And they have what we call the school-to-prison pipeline that's a real thing, right? And the reality is, I think the heart of the matter is way deeper than that. Often, children are acting out because they are failing to receive the basic love and support they need in their lives. We focus on outward behavior, yet we fail to see what's going on underneath, right? We fail to get to the heart of the matter. And one thing I love about Jesus is that he had this crazy ability to just see through it all, and to get to the heart of the matter, to see the underlying kind of cycles that are going on, to see the, what's going on in people's hearts that's really leading to the kinds of things we're seeing in our world. He could see through the spin, through the, the, 
the image that people are putting out there, the lies and the distraction to get to the essence, to the important stuff. So we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel over the next few weeks. And and in Matthew's Gospel, there is this particular uh, bulk of teaching in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. I know many of you all are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a really powerful uh, like block of teaching in the Gospels. And in this sermon, Jesus really does get to the heart of the matter. You know, religious people, uh, we have a knack for missing the point quite often, actually. And it was true back in Jesus' time. That's why he had a lot of run-ins with religious people. And it's just as true today. Religious people, we have a, a, a knack for focusing on rules and rituals and outward appearance while failing to show mercy and love and seek justice. And Jesus, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount, really is inviting us to move beyond that and and to go deeper and get to the heart of the matter. And when we do so, we can actually experience transformation in our lives and our relationships and our systems and structures even that organize our society. But this transformation, it's got to begin in our hearts. And so we're going to get into this uh, over the next few weeks. This sermon, called the Sermon on the Mount, is actually the longest section of teaching in the Gospels, and it's a really important section of teaching. And Jesus teaches on a variety of topics, um, addressing everyday issues that kind of all of us face in our lives. Um, A scholar named Scott McKnight argues that the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest moral document of all time. That's That's a bold proclamation, but he might be right. Because it is so powerful and so influential and Jesus is really digging into what it means to live a good life. What it means to truly follow in God's design for humanity. The disciples, uh, they sought to live by these teachings and you can see evidence of it in the Gospels. They're trying to live out the things that Jesus was teaching them. The early church, um, interestingly enough, the Sermon on the Mount from what I understand was one of the primary tools for teaching and discipling the very first Christians. And so, you know, often when we disciple Christians, we'll teach them what to believe in their minds, but we fail often to show them kind of how we ought to live in this broken and messed up world, right? And the Sermon on the Mount is really helping us on how to live in this world, how to be people who are about Jesus and what he represented. And so it was very important there in the early church, but over time, The Sermon on the Mount has lost its prominent role in the church. Now, there are a few traditions that still hold tightly to the Sermon on the Mount, but by and large, it's not really taught very often in our churches. I'll tell you one reason is because it's the most, maybe one of the most radical sermons ever preached, and so it makes people uncomfortable at times. But what is happening here, Jesus is instructing in the Sermon on the Mount a very countercultural kind of way of living in this world. And a lot of people look at it and they're like, what you're teaching there, Jesus, that sounds great, but like it's not really practical in our world today, and we don't really need to live this out. And, and so a lot of people have abandoned the Sermon on the Mount. They think it's too much, too extreme, too challenging, too out of touch from our day-to-day lives. And I think part of the reason... I'll give you two reasons I think people have abandoned the Sermon on the Mount. I think one is because people don't really understand it. And so we have a problem where we don't know how to fully interpret and understand what Jesus was teaching. Because like I've told you before, we're thousands of years 
and thousands of miles removed from kind of where these scriptures and when these scriptures were originally written. And so we have a vast distance between Jesus teaching it and us today. And so often we don't understand what he's talking about. And I think the second reason is that we just don't want to actually do what Jesus said, right? We're like, and that's probably the more common reason because it's a little bit straightforward, actually, a lot of the sermon. We're like, nah, he didn't really mean that, right? I don't want to live like that because I'd rather live this way. And I think for all of us, there's probably a mixture of both of those, right? Where we don't really understand it all. And some of it is confusing. And then also, the things we do understand, we don't actually want to do. And so, what ends up happening is we just kind of throw it out. Scholars throughout church history have tried to argue that we actually don't really need to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Um, that we don't really need to do what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Scholars throughout history have had a really good ability to kind of like make excuses as why we don't actually have to do what the text tells us to do. Some have argued that the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is only teaching high ideals, they'll say. So it's like he's telling us this thing that we need to strive for, but we actually never can really do it because it's too high, it's too hard, it's too big. And so we'll just keep reaching for it, but we'll never quite get there. And what, the, what that's actually done is it's created a lot of shame in Christians because when we continue to fail at actually living out the things God's asked us to do, then we feel pretty terrible about ourselves, right? And so it's not produced very good results having that kind of mentality. And also, I wonder why Jesus would teach us to do something that's impossible. That doesn't seem very fair, and that's not a very good teacher, right, if you're teaching people to do things that they never can actually accomplish. Others have argued that these teachings are only for the really good Christians. No joke, there's like people out there who have said this, and they said this teaching was really just for the leaders, for like the popes and the monks and, and uh, you know, and the pastors and, and the religious leaders, but not for the everyday people. And so I guess like I have to live it out, but y'all don't because I'm a pastor, right? And, and that's kind of their argument. I, I don't support that argument. Y'all need to do it too if I have to. Uh, many people have claimed that these teachings are only meant to be lived out in a kind of our private lives, in our small circles, in our families, but, but don't really say anything about how we live in the public, like in the way we support policies or the way we vote or kind of how we structure our communities um, because they, many people just think it's impractical to live out the Sermon on the Mount kind of in the way we structure society and the way we deal with one another in a public way. And then finally, I think this is probably more common, people just want to glean some spiritual truths from it and say, well, there's a spiritual lesson here, but the the specifics of how we actually live it out, they don't matter all that much. And we'll apply them in a different way today, but we don't actually have to do what Jesus said. It's just about deeper spiritual truths. And we spiritualize much of the Bible, and I think often we do it as an effort so we don't actually have to to do what the Bible says, right? It's kind of a cop-out sometimes, in my opinion. I think us Christians, and I, myself included, we're really good at making excuses as to why we can never possibly, we, we never could possibly live the way Jesus has asked us to live. Clarence Bowman, a scholar, says that the Sermon on the Mount has always been an embarrassment to the church. And, and the reason is because we've rarely come close to actually living out the teachings that Jesus gives us. In fact, Christians throughout history have usually done the opposite 
of what Jesus teaches. Richard Rohr commented that one way to figure out what Jesus taught would be to look at what Christians have done throughout history and assume Jesus taught the opposite. And I'm not just like, I, I don't think that's too extreme, just to be honest. When you look at the dominant story of Christianity. Now, there's always, I believe, been a, another story that, that doesn't get the headlines. It's not the things that people are talking about. These aren't the people in powerful positions writing the history books, you know. But there's been another story, I do believe, of Christians who have tried to faithfully live out the teachings of Jesus. And I think my hope is that we're part of that legacy and that we can continue to tap into that legacy as we move forward. You know, at Embrace, Our first and most important value, we have six values at our church. If you want to know what they are, go to our website and you can check those out. But our first and most important one is that we keep Jesus at the center. All right, we keep Jesus at the center. Sadly, the life and teachings of Jesus have been neglected throughout Christian history and theology for that matter. There is a lot of emphasis. If we look at the life of Jesus, there is a lot of emphasis on Christmas in the incarnation, like the first time Jesus came into our world as a baby. But then often what we do is we jump right over his entire life and we go to the cross and the resurrection. And often what happens is we we bypass all of Jesus' example, the way he lived, and the things he taught. We have robust theologies about the cross and the resurrection and what it means for sin and salvation. But all too often the life and teachings of Jesus are neglected. And we talk about the gospel, and the gospel is, honestly, often what we say the gospel is, is often kind of this theology of the cross and resurrection, but it does not take into account Jesus' actual teachings. And Jesus said, I've come to bring good news. And so the things Jesus taught actually is the gospel. Jesus came to bring this good news, this gospel. That's what it actually means. And so we need to lean into what Jesus actually taught and said. And this may sound simple, but we follow Jesus, which means we sit under his teaching and look to his example to understand how we honor God and to learn how we live our lives here in this world. You know, last week I've said, and I've said this before, it's possible that we can come every week and worship the Christ, but fail to live like Jesus. And, and I don't want to be, that seems a little bit fragmented to me, right? That we can proclaim Christ as our Lord, but we fail to actually live and follow the teachings and example of Jesus. We don't want to just talk about Jesus or say that we love Jesus. But we want to actually sit under his teaching and his authority and be true followers. Last year, we spent a whole year with Jesus in the Gospels. And, and that's what we were really trying to do. And so we're going to begin this year with a little more work in the Gospels. And I'm going to tell you, give you a little a bit about where we're going this year, which I'm excited about. Coming up here after uh, Easter, we're going to start to spend a good bit of time in the letters in the New Testament. And so the letters come after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Those are the first five books in the Bible, or in the New Testament. And then after Acts, we, we jump into Romans, and then from there, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and it moves on. And pretty much everything after that are letters that were written by uh, followers of Christ, and they wrote these letters to particular churches and different communities trying to kind of discern what all that happened with Jesus, what that meant for them in their own time and place. And so what we're going to do, the lectionary is taking us to these places, which I'm excited about. We're going to study 1 Peter. Um, So 1 Peter was written by Peter. And then we're also going to spend 
a lot of weeks digging into the book of Romans, which I'm really excited about. I haven't read Romans in quite a long time. There, there's a lot of baggage people have with Romans. Uh, we got the Romans Road. I don't know if y'all ever been on that. Uh, not an actual road. It's a whole like path to salvation that we, we many of us were taught. And I think we need we need a bigger view of salvation than just that. I think. Um, but we're going to get into Romans and try to read it with fresh eyes. And I'm really excited about it. We're actually going to have some classes built around that as well. And so we're going to spend time in these letters. And like I said, these letters are all about Jesus. They were written by individuals who understood the magnitude of what happened in Jesus. They, they saw His life and His teachings and His resurrection, his, his death, His ascension, all of that. And they wrote these letters in an attempt to try to figure out what all that meant for them in their own context in which they were living. And these books in the Bible are so, so important to help us understand how we live good lives and how to follow Jesus today in our own context today. However, I think before jumping to the letters, I think we need to go to the source first. That we need to read and study Jesus' words and His teachings in the Gospel before we get into the letters. And that's one reason we spent a whole year with Jesus is because we want to read the Gospels first, then let's read the letters that are all about the Gospels, right? If you're a new Christian or you don't know much about Christianity and you're here today and you want to learn, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to start with Mark, that might be the best place because it's the shortest, all right? And so you can get through that one a lot quicker. Mark gets straight to the point, um, and then you can start jumping to some other ones. But it's good to start there. You know, when I was in school, um, I would always get frustrated because they would make us read these like really old texts by all these philosophers and stuff. And I'm like, can I just read a book about the philosopher? I don't want to actually read the philosopher because it's confusing sometimes to read their original works, right? And, but they do that in school because they're like, you need to read the actual stuff first before you start reading all these books about these people, right? And so they're very intentional when you're in school to make you read all the original stuff, you know? And, it, and it's mind-boggling sometimes because I'm like, I don't get what... Kant is saying, or whoever these people are, you know, and I, can you just tell me what they're saying? But they're like, no, you need to actually read it. I've been reading a book uh, I just picked up recently about James Baldwin, and it's a powerful book, but as I'm reading it, I'm starting to realize, like, I need to actually go and read some actual James Baldwin. I've read some, but I need to read more to fully understand his thoughts and what he was into in the time in which he wrote and lived. And so I think for us, often we read books about Jesus but spend little time reading his actual words and what he said and what he taught. There's a group of people called the Red Letter Christians. They have a great website and blog if you want to check it out. But, but their goal is they care about the whole Bible and all the stuff in the New Testament and Old Testament, but, but really they want to focus on Jesus' actual words, the red letters of Scripture, they call it, um, because this is the source. This is where all this began, Right? And so last year, we spent all the year with Jesus, and we're going to begin the year reading the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to read the teachings of Peter and Paul later this year. But first, let's sit under the teaching of Jesus. You know, if we want to know how to live good lives, if we want to know how to be people of integrity, of high character, people who honor God by the way we live, then we, we, we have this wonderful place to look, the teachings and example of Jesus. That's where we can look. I believe Jesus... I do believe Jesus was God incarnate, that God came and walked among us and, and showed us how to live. It says in Scripture that He is the image of the invisible God, that the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. And we have these books that tell us His story. 
and tell us what he taught and what he did and what he stood for. And, and that is plain as day for us right there to know how we ought to live today because we have an example, a real-life person to look to. And so we're going to do that. We're going to study his teachings and examples. He is our teacher, our guide, our Lord. You know, the best place we could look to figure out how to live in this world, to learn um, the whole field is called Christian ethics, or, you know, it's about morality. It's about how we live as ethical people in this world. And that's very important to ask those questions. Being a Christian is way more than just believing a set of doctrines or principles about God or propositions about God. It's more than just reciting the Apostles' Creed, right? It's about actually following Christ. I love that the, the early Christians were called people of the way, and they were also called Christ ones. They were called the Christians, the Christ ones, the Christians, you could say. And I love people of the way because they had a way about them, the way they kind of operated in the world. And you know what the way was? It was the way of Jesus. And so in Embrace, it's so important to us to talk about walking in the way of Jesus and also being Christ ones, being little Christ, people who look like Jesus. And so we're going to learn from the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably the best place you could go, right? Because it's the longest section of teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. And it's been used throughout history to train up Jesus followers uh, ever since the early church. And so here, I think we're going to discover how to be Jesus' people, how to get to the heart of the matter, you know, how to discern how to follow God in this broken and complicated world. And that's ultimately what we're doing, right? We're trying to read the Bible. We're trying to read the moment. We're trying to figure out how it all goes together, right? And that's not easy to do, and we have each other to try to do that with. So I'm really excited to get into this. I'm, I'm going to invite um, Laban. Are you going to play something? Um, I'm going to close by just reading some selections from the Sermon on the Mount for you. I thought about just reading the whole Sermon on the Mount and just being like, I'm done. <laughs> I might be accused of uh, mailing it in if I did that, but, uh, but I was looking at I Google. I actually Googled this week, how long would it take to read the Sermon on the Mount out loud? <laughs> and uh, the, the numbers were too high, so I was like, I, that, I don't want to keep you out here too long. I kept you out here too long last week. Um, but I, I selected some verses that I want to read for us today, and, and it will take a couple, few minutes to read through these. And they're going to be on the screen, each verse, but I want to give you all just a some of y'all haven't read it for a while, maybe. I want to give you a reminder of kind of what's there. And I just want to let these words kind of speak to us. Let this be kind of a meditative moment. Um, Laban's going to play some music to help us focus a little bit as I read these words. Um, but these are words from Jesus. These are things Jesus taught. Um, and, and these are things that were taught back then, but they're universal kind of teachings. And we can apply these to our lives today. And so I'm going to read through these, and if it's easier for you to close your eyes, you can do that, or you can follow along behind me. But let this kind of be a meditative exercise for you to let these words of Jesus' teaching wash over you this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Happy are those who work for peace. God will call them his children. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day, has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
if you would pray with me. God, thank you so much for drawing ever closer to us. We thank you for the story throughout Scripture that we've been given of you continually making bigger and bigger steps towards your people. And we thank you that you chose to come and walk among us, to put on flesh and to live in our midst, Lord. And to show us the heart of the matter, to show us the essence of what it is that you have for us, to show us the essence of what you're inviting us into, to show us what life to the full really looks like. Today, Lord, as we share communion, we want to give thanks for for what you did for us on the cross. Yes. We want to praise you for the power of the resurrection and the, the path that you took to overcome sin and death and the path you carved out for us to find life and goodness and wholeness. We want to praise you, Lord, for your ascension and The fact that you went up and that you didn't die again, that you're still alive and you're on the throne. But not the kind of thrones we think of, Lord, that you are ruling as a self-giving and loving and serving God. So we praise you for all of that, Lord. And we also, today as we take communion, want to give thanks for the whole scope of your life that you came and you, you grew up, that you went through the, all the awkwardness and hardships of being a child into a teenager and trying to learn how to be an adult in this world, that you were willing to, to take on the limitations of being a human. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you made the choice to, to pursue what the Spirit was leading you to do in this world. And you took the hard path, the right path, but the hard path, the path of suffering and pain that you were willing to confront and come face to face with the most wretched evil this world could throw at you. And God, we thank you that you did it. And we know, Lord, we know now that you did it because of love. That you're not a God who is angry with us or wants to destroy us, but you made it clear that no, we just misunderstood that you're a God who loves us and wants life for us. And so God, I just pray today as we share communion that we would rest in that. And that we would rest, Lord, in the the truth that you are a good God and that you did not leave us to fend for ourselves, that you came here to show us the way. Lord, I pray that as we eat the food and we drink whatever drink we've set aside for this purpose, that we would encounter you, that they would be for us the body and blood of Christ, that you would fill us up this morning in a fresh way. Lord, we need you so much, and we thank you that you're here with us. Pray all this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.